Welcome to the first episode of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Since this is our inaugural episode, I thought it would be a good idea to provide some background on the selection of our title, which derives its inspiration from Scripture. In Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 54, Jesus chides the crowd, saying, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It is going to rain, and it does. And when the southwest wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is, hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus again rebukes the Sadducees and Pharisees for demanding a sign explaining that, When evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. In both of these passages, Jesus' criticism is the same calling out the Sanhedrin for the hypocrisy of depending on God's revelation to predict the weather, like meteorologists, while ignoring God's revelation to interpret the signs of the times. So our title, Jesus and the Meteorologists, is intended to highlight the antithesis, that is, the distinction, the difference, between the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ, and all unbelieving points of view, the meteorologists between the presumed autonomy of men who subordinate the Word of God and all things to their own interpretation and the ever-changing demands of their own rationality, and the unchanging eternal triune God of Scripture, who is the necessary precondition to the intelligible use of reason and the only premise upon which one can make a rational defense and coherent interpretation of all reality and experience. These claims are supported by Scripture, and they are not, as the Bible says, too difficult or beyond your reach. They are not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor are they beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it to proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your heart and in your mouth so you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. When we return, we'll be joined in the studio by friends and some former students of mine who will engage with me as we drill down into this week's topic. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. 
We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. In this episode, since it is our first, we're going to be very deliberate about our object and our intentions, elaborating on the very foundations and framework for this program so that we have a recorded benchmark to which we and you, the listener, can return for future reference. With me today in the studio are three former students whose real names and identities shall remain confidential, but whose stage names are, from my right to left, Roger, Hogan, and Lynn. Thank you for being here today, and thanks for your parents and families for allowing us to borrow your time for this venture. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a string of questions, new podcasts, new students, new questions, and uh, we'll call this an all-play. Why do you think the Sadducees and Pharisees demand a sign or demanded a sign from Jesus? They demanded a sign from Jesus because they wanted him to prove that he was God on their terms. Okay. It's very insightful. I'm going to come back around to that. Hogan or Lynn? After you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I was going to go where Roger went, kind of. Um, and I do think that's kind of the answer. Um, they wanted him to prove himself to them as an earthly person rather than who he actually was. Good. Again, I'll I'll reserve comment till I hear Lynn, if she has anything to add to this question. Maybe if he gave them a sign, like they thought maybe they could twist it just a little bit and make it like fit their point of view of him. Not that they were going to change their opinions, but just like, so they could say, well, you know, this is how you perform this sign or this is how this worked. And so you're not really the Messiah is because that's what they were really, you know, that's what they believed staunchly is just he was not the Messiah. So they wanted any anything they could get to um, prove otherwise. Do you think the Sadducees and Pharisees presumed that evidence for God and for Jesus' authority of God was ambiguous? Yes. Okay. So did they then believe that the sign itself and other whatever that sign would be, you know, whether it's a... <clears throat> a man being raised from the dead, whether it's water changed into wine, whether it's um, a fig growing from an apple tree, some sign, do you think then that they believe that that sign itself, in other words, the created thing, was greater than God himself, the one who had created those things? I would say I think that sounds pretty true, <laughs> accurate. Yeah, they, it's certainly implied, right, when you ask for a sign because you're seeking something to measure the authority so he, in this case, they're seeking to measure Jesus' authority by something outside or beyond Jesus, right? Yeah. So clearly the implication is, A, Jesus' authority is ambiguous to them, which we're going to talk about whether that's true or not, and then B, something that proves who Jesus is or proves his authority, by definition, has to be above the thing it's proving, okay? Hold those thoughts for a second as we go to the next question. Why did it upset our Lord? Why did he call them hypocrites? Anybody? Because of the signs that he's already given them. I mean, he had already, quote unquote, proven himself to them, but he hadn't, because he wasn't trying to prove himself to them. 
he was just, he was being Jesus. Like, that's who he was. He didn't need to prove himself to anybody. Did they ask Jesus about the weather? No. Oh. No. They didn't. They, they didn't come and say, hey, give us a sign for what the weather's going to be tomorrow. They, they knew they? he was too busy being Jesus. <laughs> Couldn't answer <laughs> questions about the weather. Oh, I, I, I think perhaps it had to do with, like, the fact that he was kind of looking at them and, like, they must be really ignorant, like, to not realize because they've been given all this information about the coming Messiah throughout all of their prophets. And, like, the fact that they even had to ask that, and they probably didn't go to the Torah and check the Torah. They didn't, like, want to go, like, you know, reread everything that the prophets had, like, prophesied. No, they just wanted to go and be like, hey, so, you know, um, are you the obvious? But I don't—I'm going to disagree with Lynn. I, th- I don't think that the Sadducees and Pharisees were confused. I think they were looking for an excuse not to believe. Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't saying like that they were confused. I was saying that they were refusing to believe. So we go back to this question is why didn't they ask Jesus about the weather then? Because they knew how to interpret the weather. Okay. And in knowing how to interpret the weather, which Jesus even agreed with them, right? Mm-hmm. He said, you do know mm-hmm. how and you're right. Yeah. So in interpreting the weather, they're presuming their own autonomy. They can make weather forecasts. Why was that? Why was that not hard for them? But when it came to the authority of Jesus and the authority of the word and this deriving the signs of the times from the word of God, what's the difference between predicting the weather and talking about the authority of Jesus? Well, predicting the weather doesn't change how they live aside from whether they're going to be going out that day or whether they're going to bring an umbrella. And well, if it's anything like today's forecast, it's not right 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you can get it from your app on your phone, right? Which is not right 90% of the time. <clears throat> Can't tell you how many times I've relied on my app and been wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the weather, whether it's whether they're right or wrong about predicting the weather doesn't really matter, or it does matter, but not in a it doesn't change where their authority lies or it doesn't change how they should live. Whereas if Jesus is the Messiah, then they have to surrender their, themselves to him and they don't want to do that. Bingo. Actually, That's, I would, oh, I would like to say a little bit more. Like uh, adding to what you said is also the weather is something that happens like constantly. Every single day they have to interpret the weather. They didn't get the Messiah from the beginning. Every, like every Messiah, like there's not multiple you know, of that, there's just one Jesus. And then that's like, I guess a turning point. And like the weather's not really always a turning point because it happens every day. The weather forecasts are not a threat to their existence. Mm -hmm. They're not a threat to their way of life. Right. So why did they play dumb about the signs of the times then? Because that's what I believe that they were doing. They knew exactly what the signs of the times were but they didn't want to believe it. Why did they play dumb about the signs of the times? In other words, they depended on God's revelation to predict the weather. They depended upon, and we'll talk about this in future episodes, about God's revelation being necessary in everything we do. It's, it's the precondition to the intelligibility of, of anything. Um, and again, we'll, we'll talk about that in detail in future episodes. But they ignored God's revelation when it came to predicting the signs of the time, Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it upset our Lord because he knew what that what they were doing. He called them hypocrites because they were cheating, right? They were cheating by using his revelation, thinking it was their own autonomy that allowed them to do this. And then they ignore God's revelation when it comes to the most important part. Okay, so let me move to the next question. 
Why did Jesus tell them, and you might need to get out your scriptures to answer this, why did Jesus tell them he would not give them a sign other than that of Jonah? And there are three scriptures I want to focus on. So, um, Hogan, if you could read from us, and I'll come back around. If you can pick Matthew 12, 38 through 41, and then Lynn, if you could choose and read for us Matthew 28, verses 16 through 18, and then Roger, uh, I want you to read from the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, 19 through 31. So before we answer that question, um, let's read the scripture. Hogan, Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they reported at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and something greater than that is here. Okay, so let's focus on that for a second. Why did Jesus tell them he would not give them a sign other than that of Jonah? What was the sign of Jonah? That he was in the whale for three days and three nights. Just like what? Just like, just like Jesus. Jesus was in the grave for three days. Yeah, exactly. just like the resurrection. So it was a foretelling of the resurrection, and he was pointing to the scriptures, Old Testament, something that was that was giving them the truth, and he wasn't going to give them any other sign, but he was also telling them that he was the fulfillment of that sign, the ultimate fulfillment, okay? <clears throat> Hold that for a minute. Now we're going to go to Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Lynn? Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, key line in there is, many believed and worshipped him, but some what? Doubted. Okay, so here are people who had seen the resurrected Christ, and yet some doubted. What does that tell you about signs? No matter how many times they're given, it depends on the person's heart. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. The sign doesn't change the person's heart. Yeah, sign doesn't have anything to do with persuading a person, right? A person's beliefs precede the sign, so the person is always going to interpret the sign according to his worldview. Exactly. Okay, and Jesus makes that clear because here's the resurrected Christ, and even there, those who had seen him resurrected still doubted. Okay, and then the last one that kind of drives that point home, a longer passage from Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is about the rich man and Lazarus. Starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony." And besides all this, between us, you, a great chasm, has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So this passage is beautiful because it kind of ties in together the sign of Jonah, which is the sign of Jesus, the foretelling of Jesus, right, being crucified and resurrected. And it ties in the element from Matthew 28, where those who had seen a resurrected Christ didn't believe, and it ties it all together. Here's a man, the rich man dies, and he's again saying, okay, now I've seen the truth. Tell my family so that they believe. And Jesus' point was what? They have the scripture. They have enough. Yeah, they have the law and the prophets, right? And that Jesus was blatant when he said they will not believe even if they see a man resurrected from the dead, proving, as we'll talk about a lot in this podcast, in episodes to come and, and, and beyond, that it is the worldview that precedes the event, right? Events are always going to be subject to interpretation, and a sign will never change a person's mind. So last question, do people today demand signs from God? And if so, can you give examples why they ask for signs? I mean, I feel like I've, I've definitely asked for signs before, but it's nothing like, I okay, mean. But that's different because you might be talking about something like laying a fleece in order to get, to help with direction from God, right? Right. You're talking about but, like but I'm people talking about asking. The world. I'm talking about unbelievers okay. asking for signs in the same way that Sadducees and Pharisees did, right? They didn't really want to see a sign. They claim they did, but it was really a way, a, a kind of a challenge to say, well, to us, you don't make sense as the authority. To us, it, it's unbelievable that you were born of the Virgin Mary and that you are the Son of God and that you are God. So give us a sign which is acceptable to us. Do people do that today? Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say all the time. Can you give an example? Well, I was going to say, I feel like, especially with unbelievers today, they're like, oh, if I, if this just happened or something, like, I'd believe. I can't, like, think of a specific thing that they would ask for, but it'd be like, you know, like, if this were to happen, you know, I would definitely be able to believe in God because he obviously would do this. Nobody else could do it. Yeah, if, like, if I had, you know, if I wasn't hurting or if God heals me, then I'll believe. Or if I win the lottery. Exactly. If I win the lottery, then I'll believe. Yeah, they're they're usually fairy tale like. It's kind of simplistic the t- the type of signs. Let me give you an example from 1985, or maybe it was 86. There's a famous debate, and I recommend that you find it on YouTube and watch it. Or I think even on YouTube though, it's just audio. But listen to it. It's called the Great Debate between Gordon Stein, the atheist, and Dr. Greg Bonson, who was a, an incredible apologist, <clears throat> Christian apologist in the last century. And at the end of the debate, um, Dr. Bonson finally pressed Dr. Stein to explain what it would take, what kind of sign he was looking for. And it was funny because Dr. Stein said, well, if that lectern that you're standing behind would suddenly rise from the air, he said, then I might, or if God, he kept using these terms, if God himself would make an appearance, then I would believe, right? Kind of ridiculous. Um, But what Greg Bonson did, which was so effective, was he drew him back to these scriptures and said, that wouldn't satisfy you anyway. He said, even if this lectern did rise, or even if God did make an appearance in a way that would appeal to you, you would still not believe, because in the end of the day, 
it's a believer's worldview. He and he went on to explain that you would try to pass it off or interpret it differently because yeah, say like, oh, you had this guy dressed in white hiding behind a curtain and he came out and said he's God. Or, or even if that were not the case, he would say, well, that was a weird experience. But a person, the, the point is that a person with a naturalistic worldview will never accept a supernatural explanation for anything because he is presupposed in his own mind that there is no such thing as a supernatural. So if he sees a supernatural event, he's going to categorize it as something weird that we'll figure out one day, right? But it won't make him believe. When we return, we'll take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologist. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologist. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am the host of this new program aimed at emphasizing the distinction between the truth as revealed in Scripture and the hopeless opinions expressed through the media, the culture, governments, and even among the church. Scripture, the revealed Word of God, is the only reliable source for understanding how to interpret the signs of the times. So this is the part of the program where we take questioners from our listeners— our first question, I'll take this in reverse order, is would you say a good example of non-believers asking for a sign is the people who asked Christ to display his identity or his authority, his Godhead, um, by saving himself from the cross, but wouldn't accept him rising from the dead? Um, and I say that's a great example. Um, it's not good enough for a, a goal horn, but we'll give that a ding. And it only gets a bing instead of a goal horn because I was actually looking from our students for answers to something in their times. So since we were actually not present at the cross, much as that would have been amazing. I would not I looking, like to see that. That would make me cry. Yeah, well, if you've seen the passion, I think it's a great representation of what that must have been like. All right. So the question I want to focus on is question number two. How are we to differentiate between what is laying a fleece, asking God for a sign to show us his direction, versus testing his truth as the Sadducees did? This I'm going to introduce for our audience, the Penguins goal horn. Um, I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins hockey fan, so we give good questions a goal horn. So let this be the first goal horn of our Jesus and Meteorologists. That's what you get for a good question. Uh, it's good because it allows me to make the distinction. Hogan had talked about laying a fleece, or I had described it as laying a fleece, and he agreed. And the distinction is this. Hogan was coming at it, as would anyone who's laying a fleece, from a situation of belief, right? A person who already believes that God is who he says he is in Scripture, believes that the Word of God is the only revealed Word of God, Right? and that um, God has made himself plain and known to all of us uh, by, because of the fact that he's made us through his word and through the world around us. And so when a person 
places a fleece before the Lord in those in those circumstances, not only will God answer that fleece with a yes or a no, but God, I, I've experienced it in my own life on multiple occasions, God will give clear answers. Sometimes it's the opposite answer of what we want, but it is a very clear answer because it's offered in faith and belief. So it pre- you, you presuppose God's, God is who he is when you, when you lay a fleece, versus the types of questions that the Sadducees and Pharisees were asking when they demand a sign, or as in the example that I gave with um, Dr. Greg Bonson and Gordon Stein demanding a sign, he wasn't demanding, a, he wasn't asking for a fleece or asking for a sign out of a desire to believe. He was demanding a sign because of his unbelief, and it was issued as a challenge and almost a mockery, like, oh, I would believe if this lectern were lifted up. Um, so that is the difference, but it's a great question, allowed me to point out the distinction. Well, that's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our students, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.